All right. Alongside Bernie Neighbors, I'm Jeff McCarriger. Welcome to Borderline as we Woo! come to you from Los Angeles. Yes, sir. This week. And uh, sunny in 75. It is not sunny. <laughs> it is, but about 105 today. Yeah. Looking for, <laughs> hey, by the way, I wish the folks at home could see this. Looking over my right shoulder, our hotel is in the Hollywood Hills. And yeah. it's so cool. My view, like just looking up into the Hollywood Hills there, like wondering, like, whose house is that up there? I know. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah, I, I, I kind of caught myself doing the same thing, just kind of glancing up into the hills and some amazing houses that are kind of overlooking everything. So, yeah, yeah pretty incredible. Um, all right. So we are out in Los Angeles. And uh, this week, for those of you uh, who watch the show who follow Cornhole, we are here for several different events as we kind of wrap up and kind of put a cap on the 2022 season. But the big event uh, just happened this past weekend, Spencer McKenzie's. Even if you got, for those of you who watch the show who are not Cornhole fans, Bernie, this thing, the first time I've ever been here, and what an incredible incredible spectacle. I mean, 1,024 teams. You're talking 2,048 players playing yeah. for a prize purse of over $300,000. It was at the Ventura County Fairgrounds, just a huge facility right on the beach. It was absolutely beautiful. I mean, I'm not sure you can get a better setting than what we had. And and the fact that it's it's not winner take all, but just one team, one doubles team, it's all doubles, one doubles team wins the whole thing. I mean, it's a, it's, it's just amazing what you have to go through. I, I called it during the broadcast, the toughest 48 hours in Cornhole, but just incredible. So congratulations um, to Ryan Windsor and uh, Devin Harbaugh. For, for surviving the weekend and and winning the first place prize, which is thirty thousand dollars, but I mean, what what an amazing event, though, right? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I, it, it's interesting because it's outside, and so the variables that come into playing. I mean, there's certain players. Like to me, the biggest surprise of the entire week was that Frank Modlin and singles won, because right. you know when we had where our broadcast court was there was a plexiglass wall that kind of hid most of the wind. So it was a little more tame once you got there, but playing out, you know, in the lot there, I mean, it, you were in the elements yeah. and Frank Modlin throws kind of a softer bag. So a bag that you would think would be more affected by the wind somehow find a way, Frank. I mean, that's his nickname. He finds a way to get in and wins it to me. That's the biggest shock of the week because I would have, you know, you would you would favor all the hard flat throwers, right? Just because it'll get through the wind easier, yada yada yada. Nope, Frank Modlin finds a way and wins singles. That to me was yeah. just insane. So that was yeah, that was the first event that we had the the final stop um, on the pro shootout tour. So it was the eighth and final stop, our last three qualifying bids. So yeah, congratulations to find a way, Frank, Captain America. He does it again. How about Yeti Irwan? Yeti, yeah. not once, twice, three, four, five, six times in the last two years had lost either in the semifinals or the finals. And Yeti finally gets over the hump. Um, she was so excited. So she got that automatic bid. And then, uh, and then you know, Trevor Brooks and, and Berkeley Pair made a great run all weekend long. Yeah. But at the end of the day, to get the double, the final doubles bid, a couple of California guys, which is great to see. I mean, you know, Cornhole's really been trying to make a push out west, and we'll talk about that with our guests as well. But Tyler Parent, Brevin Valdivia, two California kids win doubles. So now all of the winners, all the automatic uh, bids that, that were handed out, 
uh, will compete for the Pro Shootout Championship this weekend here in Los Angeles for five hundred thousand dollars. Unbelievable! Yeah. I mean, the, the money's actually getting real now. Yeah, I mean, you know, what is it? The the doubles winners share forty grand. Yeah, I think that's what it or, is. Or it, or fifty. I can't remember. And then the the singles win forty. If I'm not mistaken, I could be off on that, but it's close. It's in it's in that ballpark, and it's a lot of money for playing cornhole. Yeah, legit so money. It, year after year, it keeps getting a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. So that's the goal to keep it going. But we'll stay out here in Los Angeles. You know what I'm upset about, man? What's that? We haven't played any golf. <laughs> we're we're no. out in LA for an entire week. We and just no no time to really find a day to get out on the links, unfortunately. But I'll say uh, we've actually been working. It's just terrible, it, right? Ruining yeah. everything. <laughs> and you know, like you said, 105. We we did that in uh, Phoenix. I don't know if I want to play in 105 again. Yeah, I know. I, I know if we do, you're going to stay away from red drinks. Yes. Yes. And any any red colored drinks you need to take stay take away from the sugar for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to stay in the rocks or the grass or the greens. I can't wait to watch that tournament to see if there's like a red stain somewhere near the tee box. <laughs> I thought about that too. You're going to get some of these pros that walk up and be like, wait a second, I don't remember these, these rocks red look weird. Yeah. Looks like someone ralphed all over them. That's right. Somebody did. <laughs> His name was Bernie. Yeah, yeah, it was me. All right, our guest has joined us already, but real quick, do you want to anything? meet Jeff and Bernie? You want, is there anything you want to get off your chest? How are you feeling? You doing okay? You feeling good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, other than the house stuff at home, yeah, which is not really, you know. Yeah, this always seems to happen as soon as we hit the road and travel, right? I mean, everything is fine, but as soon as we hit the road, um, something goes wrong with the kids, somebody gets hurt, somebody's in trouble with the teacher, maybe yeah. your pipes burst in your house and water's all over the place, I'm just saying. I mean. That's what I, happened, I, right? Yeah. Well, there was a leak. And I guess she came home from work and water was coming down into the middle floor and seeping through. And then they, you know, they basically the dining room floor is gone. The walls are gone. The ceiling has gone up into the, up into the master suite bathroom. Those walls are gone. The floor down on the third floor, uh, room oh has gosh. been picked. I mean, it's basically the place has been destroyed. So and then, and then, you know, and then, and then they have to go in, I guess, when you open walls, because it was built in the seventies, they had to come in and check for asbestos because I guess that was still being regularly used. And turns out there was a little bit, which means they have to destroy more walls to get that out. So it is an absolute disaster. And I'm here, you know, I was I'm, say, here in, so, I'm here in sunny so, California, not, you know, so like, yes, I feel bad that I'm not there helping, yeah. but at the same time, man, this is a little bit better. So maybe that's the question for this week's Jeff and Bernie. Is it good or bad that you're not with Julie right now back in Atlanta? Uh, something tells me. Would you just be getting in the way and making her even oh, more Oh, I would make it so much worse. Just just <laughs> angry and just I would make it so much worse. But something tells me in the future there's going to be an argument about something. And the fact that I wasn't here for this will be brought up. Yeah, there'll be a little flag marked on that. Yeah, <laughs> this is this is a moment in time being saved. I have a feeling. Do you remember that time, August thirtieth, twenty twenty-two, to be specific, helping. when you were out? What do you mean helping? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, and and that's and yeah. I haven't seen it yet, so we'll <laughs> yeah. might as well stay out here for a while. Julie is a good woman. She's a good. Oh woman. yeah, better than All me. Right, you ready for our guest? Yes, sir.
All right. Our guest today is a recurring character on the CBS hit drama series SWAT. We've talked about that a lot. It's, it's uh, uh, Shamar Moore is uh, pretty much the star of the show. David Lim, who's a friend of the program, he's been on before. Uh, these guys from SWAT uh, with CBS have been terrific for the sport. I mean, real champions of the sport behind the scenes. So we are so happy to, to just be able to talk to these guys from time to time. But our guest today, his recurring role is he plays Sergeant Stevens. But behind the scenes, he plays even a larger role as the tech advisor to the cast members and guest stars. Uh, he trains them in all the technical aspects of firearms, combat, and defense. I mean, really interesting gig that he's got and so what makes him qualified to do that you may ask well <laughs> i'm just going to give you a brief background because if i gave you his full background it would take an hour <laughs> and people hear me talk enough they don't want me to, to to be talking about this guy for an hour we want to talk to our guest. so he spent 28 years in law enforcement for the san diego police department just retired back in 2018 by the way but served in multiple divisions from patrol duty when he started to narcotics division uh, part of the San Diego SWAT division, uh, executive protection detail. He's also a distinguished recipient of the San Diego Police Department's Medal of Valor and also a veteran of the U.S. Navy, so extremely qualified. And we are yeah. so proud to have on the show for the first time Otis, Odie Gallup. Otis. Odie. Hey <laughs> What's up, man? How you guys doing? Good. You are such a stud, brother. It was such nice to, to meet you out at Spencer McKenzie. <laughs> and anytime I need some protection detail, I am calling you for sure. That's all. It's all good. That's what I do on the side also. So it's all good, man. How old are you, brother? I mean, you still, you, you must work out every day. You are, you are freaking ripped. Uh, yeah. well, I'm going to be 59 this year. No way. So, yeah. 59 this year. I try to work out every day. I don't do uh, heavy weights like I used to back in the day. Now it's just kind of a lot of lighter stuff. And, uh, you know, I just tell people consistency, you know, just consistency gets the job done. Yeah. Well, we have so much to talk about. I'm not even exactly sure where to start, but let, let's start with this weekend because you and David were actually out at Spencer McKenzie's and you might've heard Bernie and I talking about it at the beginning of the show. I mean, just trying to put into words, this event is, is difficult, even, even for guys who are broadcasters. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The, the enormity of this event over 2,000 players, not to mention spectators, plus all the bands, all the food yeah. stands, all the vendors. I mean, I don't know, what do you, maybe three, 4,000 people? It's it's crazy. It's huge. It's huge. And, uh, you know, the thing is, is, is Cornhole is just, the community is just awesome because, you know, you go out and people just want to have a good time, watch Cornhole, play Cornhole. And every time, you know, we, we came, we went the la uh, last year for the first time. And, um, you know, it's just uh, a great feeling when you show up and that's probably the first major event that we've went to and uh, you show up and everybody just embraces you and they and they just want to talk and they and they have fun and take pictures but uh you know it's all about cornhole and that community is just so great and giving and accepting and and uh we just have a good time doing it all right i first question odie ready I was going through your bio and the one thing that struck out to me not not all the years of service not being the technical advisor script advisor odie so how does yes. that work do you basically help them write entrances into a build like how do you like how how are you a script advisor uh so the writers that are all great on our show they write the script and then i get all the scripts i go over the scripts uh pour through them 
And then I will write them notes on, uh, you know, law enforcement tactics or what would look good this way or what would look good um, this way and what doesn't look good. And uh, I write out all those notes for each episode and then I send it back to the writers. The thing is, is, you know, they're the writers of they're not really in the law. I mean, they haven't been in law enforcement. Right. So um, I just try to you know give them ideas on how to do things. I give them notes on what would really look good and. You know they're all very collaborative and and they change for me so they, they you know we support each other a lot and uh you know it's a great it's a fun job it's it's fun i mean this job is you know i retired in 2018 and this job is kind of like icing on the cake i mean i have i have a great time doing it so so does that get you in the writers union out here uh no uh, i'm in sag i'm in sag uh, oh nice good nice yeah i'm in sag due to my sergeant stevens you know, one liners oh, yeah. and, and couple liners that I have, you know, maybe 10 episodes a season, maybe. So that's hey, awesome. Odie, be, before we get to Hollywood and the show and what you do in your background, <laughs> um, I kind of talked to David about this a little bit during the broadcast. But again, we get a lot of people who aren't necessarily huge cornhole aficionados who watch the show. So can you just explain like why, why, why the, I don't want to say obsession, but, but why did you guys just dive into cornhole? Like what started this whole, um, you know, fascination with, with cornhole with Shamar and airmail city in his backyard. I mean, for those people who don't know Shamar Moore again, who's the star has turned his backyard into just this fabulous airmail city, uh, you know, just cornhole Mecca, like the Taj Mahal of a backyard for cornhole players, but, but you and David and Shamar, like what started this whole this whole uh, cornhole trend with you guys? Uh, you know, I think as everybody, you know, when the pandemic started, there wasn't really a lot to do and people were on lockdown and we were at Shamar's house watching, uh, watching it on TV one day, just sitting around having some drinks and, and being guys. And uh, we saw it on TV and we we're like, Hey, Sam, you know, you should get some uh, boards for your backyard. <laughs> and so then there you go. That was it. It started at that point. And Shamar had some friends that him some, you know, some boards in the very beginning and they weren't professional boards. They were just, you know, made by somebody in their garage. And uh, we got those and we had the old uh, Dick Sporting Goods, uh, you know, bean bags that had the chop. You see the uh, <laughs> dust come out of them. And yeah. we played like that for a while in his backyard. We just started having tournaments and then it morphed into you know, getting more into it. I mean, we're all guys, we're all competitive. We all like to play, you know, uh, games and compete against each other. And I think the thing is, is that was something that everybody could play. So, you know, Shamar has basketball in his backyard. He yeah. uh, green, which he ripped up for the uh, cornhole arena for Airmail City, but uh, not everybody can play basketball. And so this is kind of the thing that brought everybody together. And that's how it all started. You know, um, Jeff, you know that I don't let people see me play cornhole. I've never right. seen you play cornhole. I've, I've never seen you throw one bag. One person on this screen has watched me play an entire <laughs> night of cornhole, and he will he will tell you exactly why I never let anyone watch me play cornhole. Was it bad? Uh, it be worse. No, don't let him lie to you, Jeff. He's pretty good. He's all right, man. We we did good. We did good. Uh, oh wait a second, he was your partner. Oh yeah. We, uh, oh good lord. And, uh, I'm sorry. We got to the Andy. finals. We got that. to the finals, but we got beat. But uh we did oh, that's good, good. So don't let him fool you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so how's your game? Like I've seen I've seen I, good. I've seen Shamar play a little bit. David I've seen play. He's he's like legit. Saw him play during uh Super Bowl. Well, how, how's your game? Um, you know, I think I'm pretty good. Uh, you know, obviously I'm not at the level of, you know, all the guys, girls, but uh 
you know, I'd say, you know, David and I and uh, Shamar, you know, David's the best out of all of us. And uh, I would say I'm second and then Shamar and, and David and I battle quite a bit in, bit in his backyard. And uh, we battle quite a bit over at Shamar. So, you know, I'm a country boy. So I grew up in Maine. So, um, you know, and I was athletic. I mean, I played sports and so it, it just comes natural to me. And so, but David, he's, he's another level. He just practiced, he was practicing, he was sending us, I mean, when we first started this, he would take videos from, you know, players that were putting up tutorial videos and he was sending them all to us like every day. And we're all like, dude, man, relax a little bit. I mean, every day. So, but he was out and he bought some, he bought some boards in his backyard. And so he was playing every day, practicing every day, which, you know, I live in an apartment, so I can't really do that, but he got really good and uh, him and I battle and then him and I and Shamar battle. So, and uh, Bobby, who's our other guy, we, we all battle pretty much, but uh, David, David is uh, the best out of all of us. All right. So let's, let's go back, let's go back and dive back into the show. So again, we talked about your background. So how did this happen to where you were able to connect with all the people from CBS and get involved with SWAT? Because again, for those who haven't seen the show, uh, it's, it's SWAT. It's uh, I think you guys are about ready to start your sixth season on CBS, a terrific show. Um, I mean, the name pretty much says it all, what it's about. But they obviously needed someone to show the guys and, and the girls, I mean, all the cast members, how to do it, right? So how did they find you? How did you guys connect? So I was getting ready to retire in, in uh, 2018. And I have a friend that's in, uh, an ex-Navy uh, SEAL Master Chief that was in the military. And he knew the producer and uh, the UPM of the show. Um, he called me up out of the blue. I hadn't talked to him in a while. And he said, hey, Odie, you're a lot. So I got a couple of friends that are in L.A. looking for a technical advisor for this new sh show coming out on CBS based off the movie and the old TV show called SWAT. And would you be interested to be, be the uh, technical advisor? And I said, sure. I mean, I, you know, I had no idea what this was. And I go, what do you what do you do? And he's like, well, you just show the cast how to, you know, do all the tactical stuff, hold their weapon, walk with their weapon, uh, do entries into buildings, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, yeah, sure. So I went up and interviewed with, um, you know, the producer UPM and they said, OK, we want to set you up with Sean Ryan, who's, you know, a big show runner that's done The Shield. Uh, a bunch of other things. And then I talked to him and then he set me up with uh, Justin Lin, who is a director of, uh, you know, movies like Fast and Furious, uh, you know, nice. Star Trek and stuff like that. And so I interviewed with him and then they called me back and said, you're in. And so that's how I got started just out of the blue. <laughs> that's so how, like, what, what's the biggest challenge you found as a technical advisor? I mean, is it, is it people's reluctance to handle the weapons or is it just, you know, it takes just a few minutes to kind of learn the technical skill of how to hold a weapon properly. <laughs> uh, when we first started, uh, you know, we all met in a warehouse on the back lot of Universal and I met, you know, Shamar was there and I was there when they all met each other, except David, he came in a little bit later. Um, in the very beginning, you know, everybody on, on the show is pretty athletic. So they kind of took to it real quick. And then for them, it was just trying to do the nuances of how to, how to get down the, the technical little things about how to move smoothly, how to do an entry, how to tap up, how to go around a corner, cutting the pie, um, doing vehicle assaults, you know, stuff like that. I think probably the biggest challenge for me is when we have background or guest stars that come on that have never handled a weapon or whatever, because yeah. for me, 
I mean, I take pride in my job and, you know, the responsibility of how they look is on me. And it is a show called SWAT. So it's not like a cop <laughs> show where they might have a technical advisor for a day. It's like I'm there all the time, um, you know, updating the cast and, and tweaking them here and there. They still need tweaking here and there. Uh, but probably the biggest is the background and the guest stars who have never held a weapon. And it takes me, um, you know, sometimes it takes me hours to teach them. Uh, and the guest stars, I usually work with them beforehand so I can get them squared away to look good. The background, I try to get them as quick as I can because if they're only on camera for two seconds, I still take pride in how they look when they get that two seconds on camera. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, yeah, I was, I mean, along, along those same lines, I mean, Odie, do you, do you guys ever, I mean, it's, it's been huge in the headlines, obviously. Do you guys ever train with live ammunition? Like, especially like, like guest stars that come in, is there ever live ammunition that, that you guys train with? Because I mean, I, 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 am kind of in that world a little bit with firearms and I, I, I shoot quite often. And I mean, as many people know, I mean, it's a totally different thing when you're shooting with live ammo than if you're just, you know, shooting with blanks for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the, the cast, they all do that on their own. Um, we okay. don't do it per se for the show. So they are tasked with doing that on their own. And, you know, I go with them sometimes, uh, but uh, they pretty much do that on their own. We do a lot of, you know, like you said, we do a lot of quarter load blanks. Um, we kind of pared back on that a little bit, unless we're in a big open area. Uh, we do a lot of visual effects now, um, which you know, it's okay. But for me being, you know, one of the guys that actually did it and for the actors, it's hard to get the feeling for actually how it feels when you're firing quarter loads. You know, when you're doing visual effects, you got to sit there and try yeah. to move how the gun is firing, which <laughs> wow. sometimes doesn't, doesn't look as good uh, right. as it does when you're actually doing it. So how much, how much did what happened with Alec Baldwin, how much has that changed everything that you guys have done behind the scenes and, and even live when you guys are shooting? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, it changed uh, the entertainment industry quite a bit. Now, uh, yeah. like I said, a lot of a lot of shows uh, did. Uh, I want to say knee jerk reactions, and they just stopped totally from that point on. Said we're only going to do visual effects. Fortunately, you know, our show. Um, you know, we have a great armor. We have an armor on site every day when we handle weapons. And, you know, as long as you follow the procedures, as long as you do it right, as long as multiple people are checking that weapon uh, to make sure that, you know, obviously there's no live rounds, which should never be on site anyways, um, you know, you'll be okay. But you just have to follow the rules and you have to do inspections. And like I said, our show, um, they didn't, you know, we made that decision, not me, but, you know, management made that decision to, you um, do visual effects a lot of the time, but we still have the ability to do quarter loads uh, whenever it's safe and we have a big open area, which I take, which I commend them for because we are a, a SWAT heavy ta uh, tactical law enforcement type show. And uh, we don't do it a lot, but, but we still can do it. So. Well, that, that, that leads me kind of to a question, Odie. What do you ever have issues? Because I know you're looking at how they're approaching a, you know, a scene you know, an entrance, let's say to a building and you want it to be exactly how it's supposed to be. Do you ever get, you know, do you ever have any issues with say a director thinking, all right, this has to be faster. We've got to get through the scene. We can't take as much time. Like, do you ever have issues like getting through that with directors trying to kind of cut corners time-wise or is everyone kind of allow you to do it the way you want to do it? Um, you know, pretty much all the directors uh, let me do it the way I want to do it. But I will say we have to massage a lot of stuff because sometimes, yes, they can't see, you know, you moving from, uh, you know, 
50 feet from Black Betty to the opening of a door. So they might edit it from getting out of the Black Betty to moving 10 feet from the door. Which right. sometimes I wish I wish we would just let it breathe and let them show the tactical side of it. But it's a 42-minute show, so you don't have a lot of time <laughs> to do that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, all the directors that we have on the show are a lot of re repeat directors, and they're great directors, and I worked with them before. Um, you know, so we always get together and we do uh, meetings on – each episode and then any questions that they have or any questions that I have or when I, and with the writers, we all collaborate on that, but all the directors that have been on our show, um, they're great. I'm at, we call it video village where the director sits and, and watches every scene. So I'm, I'm always at video village watching with the director. And, um, you know, for me, it's all about making, you know, Shamar, David, Jay, you know, Alex, uh, you know, and Kenny to look good because what reflects on them reflects on me. And like I said, a lot of the times we have to massage it and, and, you know, you get people that have never worked on a show, you know, you'll see comments. I really don't look at comments, but you'll, every once in a while you see somebody like, well, we never do that or whatever. And it's like, yeah, mm -hmm. you're right. But have you ever worked on a TV show where you have to massage it and yeah. make it as long as I can make it look tactically believable and how they hold, how they move. then, uh, I, you know, I take a lot of pride in that. So the directors, the directors we've had have been great. We, uh, on this show, Odie, we talk a lot about just mental fortitude and, um, how that drives an individual's success. But I, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, what made you want to go from, you know, starting as patrol duty to get into narcotics, then to get on the SWAT team, you know, the SWAT division, actually, you know, real, real live SWAT team in San Diego. Like what, what drove you to, to that career ambition? Um, I think, you know, when I grew up in a small town in Maine. And so I think, you know, my dad was a hard worker. He was a truck driver and did, did some different jobs. And so I think that was instilled at me in a young age. Um, you know, I played sports when I was younger um, and then I joined the Navy. And so that just kind of kept going forward is having a work ethic, having to do what you want to do and apply for what you want to apply for. I joined, I joined San Diego PD and then um, it went from being a patrol and then you had all these different um, details that you could get on that, uh, um, you know, you could try out for. And so for me, it was just a natural progression in wanting to do something different. Uh, you know, I was on the last, the last job I did on the department was doing uh, executive protection, dignitary protection. And so that was a great job. I did that for years for various mayors of the city of San Diego, different politicians that came to San Diego and on the side, um, you know, high end clients on the side that I that I worked with in San Diego that I still do today up here every once in a while when my buddies give me a call. I mean, I'm on set pretty much every day, but, um, you know, working in narcotics, I mean, that's just a whole different breed. Yeah. Um, you know, you're with a partner sometimes, sometimes you're not. So it was, you know, the guys always ask me, ask me uh, when I have my Sergeant Steven stuff, they're like, hey, did you ever in the beginning? They're like, hey, did you ever take acting lessons? I said, listen, guys, I was an undercover narcotics. You know, I acted for my life. So, yeah. so like, <laughs> great point. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, let, let's like, how much can you tell us about that? Like when, when you're in narcotics and, and having to act and having to play a role just to try and get some, some Intel, what was that like? Can you share any of those stories? Um, yeah, definitely. We were, you know, I was from San, I mean, I live in San Diego as a the narcotics unit in San Diego. And so my team was a hard charging team and we were close to the border. So we did a lot of, um, you know, narcotics that were coming across the border um, we had did a various investigations into different organizations that were south of the border. And, you know, we, we, uh, actually arrested, you know, a lot of people 
that needed to be arrested that were transferring a lot of narcotics across the United into the United States. Um, so, yeah. But would you like what role would you play? I mean, you talked about acting. Um, I, I think it's a great oh, yeah, point yeah. because so, you'd, have, you'd have to play a role, basically. Yeah, so definitely. So you know, on the team, we had guys that had different. You know, we had a Hispanic guy, we had an Asian guy, and so they were all involved in doing that portion of um, you know the narcotics trade. Um, I was the white guy, white bald guy, so you know, pretty much I <laughs> I was dangerous. The guy White bald yeah, guys so, are dangerous, Odie. Tell them. Yeah, right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had my had my little button down dicky. You know, I had my button down dicky with my beanie on and my dicky pants and boots and go to work every day. And and uh, you know, we would always do undercover buys and we'd be uh, doing wire work on certain things. And I would always, you know, since I was the white guy, I was always doing the white related uh, type investigations. Um, uh, with it would be with confidential informants that I go with to help uh, buy narcotics. Um, it would be with my partner, uh, what you know, females, whatever it would be to uh, get the investigation going or keep the investigation going so that we can make some arrests uh, later on. But it was it was fun because you know you had to have a certain persona to do that, and and it was always funny because I would always go to court and I would walk in the courthouse and I have my badge in my pocket and the deputies <laughs> at the courthouse would be, I'd start to walk through the law enforcement, law enforcement entrance and they would be like, yeah, dude, you got to go through the regular entrance. And then I pull out my badge and they're like, uh, we actually went to the DEA office at, uh, numerous times. The first time I went, me and my partner were sitting in there and we had some DEA agents and I was dressed typically like I looked. And after we were done, the DEA agents like, Hey man, you have, you a CI? And I'm like, no, I'm a cop. He was like, damn dude, you don't look like a cop. And that, that would, that's frequently people would shy away from me when I went to the grocery store to get in line or whatever. So. How, how hard was it? All right. This is, cause this stuff fascinates me. I mean, honestly, I could talk to you about this for probably nine days straight without a break. Like, how difficult was it to get up the chain as far as making arrests? I mean, obviously, it's probably a little bit easier with street level, but that's not really going to affect the trade, if you will. How hard yeah. was it to get up the chain to make those arrests? Was everyone pretty good at being tight-lipped? Or was it, you know, you got to a certain level and could never get past it? I, I'm just curious because that's, that's fascinating to me. Yeah, no, it, uh, you know, it all depends what kind of CI you have and what kind of investigation you want to run. You know, a lot of times, you know, uh, you know, you hook up with uh, the DEA, you know, government entity and you work with them. But it all depends how good your CI is, how good his information is. Um, and hey, Odie, can, Odie real, real quick, just, just for yeah. Jade out there and for those who don't know, can you explain what CI is? Uh, confidential informant. So it's somebody that lives that life. They're not actually a cop. And uh They've either they can be arrested or they can be somebody that just wants to, uh, you know, they, they're upset with their former employer. Um, they can come in and talk to us and say, hey, I want to be a confidential informant. And then you have to do a whole it was a whole process that you went through. It's not like you just sign them up and say, OK, you're a confidential informant. You have to do a whole background check. Um, you have to make sure that they are squared away. Um, and then they start working for you and it all depends how high up or how much they got. You would pay them, you know, a little stipend whenever they, if they brought you a kilo, you would pay them a certain amount. If they brought you more than that, you pay them a certain amount. If you made numerous arrests, you pay them a certain amount. And um, 
So it all depends how good your team is and how good the people are that you're working with, but it really relies on the CI that gives you the information of when this is coming, where it's coming, who it is. And then obviously you have to do surveillance. I mean, I remember sitting in the back of my car numerous times with me and my partner in another car and, and, um, you have some people playing volleyball and uh, I'm in the back of my tinted windows with a blanket over my head, taking pictures of the guys playing volleyball. So you can try to identify them <laughs> and you use your, and you got your big gulp cup, you know, when you're there for hours. So if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a good time. I had fun. I had fun doing that. That was a great, uh, that was a great detail. And, and my team, we were probably the best team uh, at that time. Uh, making arrests uh, for narcotics-related stuff. Wow. Hey, so, Odie, we also talk to the players a lot about about self-talk, you know, when they're playing. What, what's what's going through your head? What are you saying to yourself while you're playing? What would you be saying to yourself? I mean, how, how much fear did you have in the back of your mind that you'd be caught? Did you did you ever let that come to the front of your, your mind? I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's fear, but, you know, as guys, I mean, as guys, when you're growing up and girls, you know, you're growing up and you play cops and robbers, and so – when you're in that job, I don't know if it's, it's not as much fear as much as you're trying to figure out how to get the deal done or how to, where you're going to go after this, or, uh, you know, because people are paranoid. And so people that you would do an investigation on, they had counter surveillance. So if you were there, um, they had counter surveillance. So you would have cars on the freeways following you have, you have fixed wings in the air following them. And so it was kind of, you were just trying to figure out, how to get to that next point. So it wasn't, you know, I wouldn't say it's fear per se. Um, it was more trying to figure out what the next move is. So what, like, what, all right. So for cornhole, for me, like, it seems like, tell me if I'm wrong with you guys. It was, it's almost like you got, all right. So you go, you film and those shoots can be heavy, long hours, long days. Did cornhole kind of serve as a way for everyone to just kind of let off steam? Definitely. We used to, we call it uh, Sunday fun day at, at uh, Shamar's house. And every Sunday for a long time, it was probably maybe a year or two or two year and a half. We we're going over there every Sunday, we'd set up our tournaments and that's how it all got started on, on, on Instagram was we were, we started out with our little, little cheesy boards. And then it came to, we bought, you know, the pro boards. Then we brought, we bought some great bags and then we started playing in the back. And then David, who does a great job doing videos and social media, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, so I don't do, I have right. to ask them for advice on that stuff. Right. But <laughs> yeah, you know, David was doing videos and then you're preaching to the choir on. here in this room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I have no so idea. Started, <laughs> yeah. So we started a SWAT cornhole page. And so David would put, you know, make some videos, edited them, do whatever. And then he would put them up on the, on uh, Instagram. And all of a sudden people started following it. A lot of people started following it. And then it came to, I want to say, I remember it might've been Trey or I think it was Trey that uh, DM'd them, I think. And David and Shamar, uh, since they're, you know, they're the face of the whole thing. And so DM them and said, Hey, we'd like to come out and play in the backyard because we were playing, we have rings, you know, like Super Bowl rings, whoever won the singles got a Super Bowl ring, whoever won the doubles got a WWE style belt. And, you know, we would put that on the SWAT cornhole page and, and everybody loved it. And so it just kind of grew from there. And then it grew to getting in contact with Trey. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure it was Trey back and forth and all of a sudden it ended, it ended up they wanted to come out and Shamar and David had a date for them and they like four or five people came out and we started playing and then all of a sudden boom it was 
you know, Trey, you know, Tony, Noah, Cameron, uh, Hunter, the Brat Pack, Bella, exactly. And so, uh, and then they were showing us how to play, how to do moves. But those, you know, those guys, I, I'm like a, I'm like a Damon Dennis guy. I just play. You know, I can do some air mails here and there. You know, I can do a bully bag. I can do cut around bag a little bit. But you know, those guys were coming out and they were doing like the roll bag. They were, it was like, dang man, that's just crazy, <laughs> insane, right? And so it just grew into a you know, a friendship and all the kids, you know, we, we support them and we try to come out and watch them whenever we can, whenever we have time. I mean, like you said, we shoot a lot of hours and we work, we work Saturdays too. So it's kind of hard to get out there, but you know, we support them and uh, you know, we love to go watch them play, you know, like this last weekend at Spencer's. I think one of the coolest things too, for people who don't know is that you guys actually play in a local league. I think it's in Santa Clarita where you guys play in that local league, like on Thursday nights. I mean, how cool would that be? That you're just playing there, just you know, just a normal person in Santa Clarita, and all of a sudden, all the guys and cast members from SWAT show up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's and that, that's a great league, and those guys totally accept it. I mean, like I said, the Cornell community is just awesome. They just accepted us when we when we got there. They didn't give us a hard time, and I think it helped out a little bit when they found out we could play a little bit because uh, that was the league we yes. first joined, and we had been playing in Shamar's backyard for over a year, year and a half, and then we said, "Hey, let's let's uh, go play," and so we actually went to a brewery up in Santa Clarita. I can't remember the name of it. Wolf Creek, maybe. We played there one night and people were cool and we were like, hey, let's let's sign up and do a league. And so we signed up in Santa Clarita and uh, that's what our that's where we play at. We haven't been able to play for a little while because we were in Thailand for six weeks shooting the first two episodes. And then for us, we shoot different locations. So it's not like we work in Santa Clarita and then go play. We you know, there's times we shoot in Long Beach, which is like an hour and a half away, sometimes two hours of traffic to get up there to play at 630. So. We took a little bit of time off, but uh, I think we're getting ready to get back into going back and playing. Um, and those guys treat us great. Uh, like I said, everybody has a good time. They have fun. And, uh, you know, Shamar takes a few pictures here and there up there, but uh, they treat us great. And I think, um, you know, they, they know that we can play a little bit. And so, you know, we get, we get, uh, we've been accepted. So. All right, Odie. We've now talked way too much cornhole for this show. What? I had one more uh, cornhole question. I had go for yeah. No, I had one. <laughs> they joke with us all the time, Odie, because we don't talk cornhole. We spend yeah, more for the time fact that it's me stuff. bringing it back to cornhole is kind of insane. Yes, this actually, is shocking. This is shocking. Yeah. But but seriously, like the one thing that I really enjoy about cornhole, and I think one of the reasons why it's kind of caught on nationally is anyone really can play, and just about anyone can get good. What's crazy, and you guys got to see it with Trey and Noah and Tony and Bella and Hunter and, and that whole crew, is that there's a level of good, like you and David are really good players, right? And Shamar, really solid players. That next level is insane, is it not? I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, no, they're, they're more than, they're like three or four levels above us. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like, like last weekend at Spencer's, we love watching, going in and watching the finals and stuff. I mean... How about Noah? You know, everybody was during during the crew cup. They wanted him to do the airmail, and the whole crowd is like, "Do yeah. it, do it, or whatever." <laughs> and he stood there for a second, contemplating it, and he did it, and the crowd just went wild, right? Yeah. Um, and then you have you know uh, Windsor and and Harbaugh playing in the final. So you know, it's like it's cool when you go and all the people that uh, became part of our little SWAT cornhole airmail city cornhole crew they're just tearing it up and they're like usually in the finals or 
top five or whatever. And just to see that is just, is just crazy. And like I said, I'm an old guy. So I'm, you know, I like Damon Dennis. Cause I like, I'm, I, I like the old guy. I like to see the old guy do good. The old guys do good because yeah. you know, it's all the young guys and, and uh, they tear it up, but you know, guys like me and you just push it forward and get it in the hole, man. Well, you're probably going to enjoy watching Matt guy play this weekend. Then very <laughs> old game, very basic, but it still works. Yeah. 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 I'm going to be doing a little barbecue in there. So. <laughs> you know, along right the same lines, Odie, yeah, it made me feel proud to be affiliated with the ACL because at the end of the day on the broadcast court, you know, from 1,024 teams, over 2,000 players, we get down to that broadcast court, get down to the final four, you're talking ACL players and some of the top players. I mean, it really did kind of make me proud to be affiliated with them, to see them rise, you know, to the top of that entire 48 hours of competition. Yeah. And it's uh, just going out and seeing all the people there and, uh, you know, like I said, we walk around and hang out and watch our little crew um, that we support. I mean, we support everybody, but, you know, people that we know, um, we like to see them do well and we cheer them on and, uh, you know, fortunate and they're just great players. And yeah. so it's just one of those things that you're like, wow, um, these guys are good. And people don't realize yeah. it until they actually see them when they come over to Shamar's regular people come over to Shamar's and they see Noah there and they see Tony, they see Bella, you know, they see Trey, <laughs> um, you know, they're like, Dang. Okay. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Enough cornhole. Can you show it's us, can you, sh- can you show us the proper way to clear a room? <laughs> give, give us I good can, stuff. But, but I don't think it would be, uh, I don't think it would be good enough in my apartment. So, so. so give us, get, like, teach us how do you clear a room? Like, seriously, like, like, you know, is it old school where you peek around the corner? Like, like, how do you, like, seriously, how do you clear you know, a room? Pe- people have different, people have uh, different teams, different people have different ways that they do things. And so I tell the cast whenever they go someplace, you know, you always get people coming on like, Hey, Shamar, come shoot with us or David, come shoot with us. And um, so I just tell them, I'm like, when you go and you do things with other people, you just have to realize that they might do things differently and that it's not wrong. It's just that they do it different as in shooting. Now uh, for us, for our show, you know, just clearing a room is, you know, it's, it, it's a SWAT way. It's like kiss, right? Keep it simple, stupid, because um, there's only so many ways you can clear a room and, you know, people uh, put new spins on it here and there. And, um, you know, typically you just like to come in, you'll have, it all depends. Like for our show, we only have six cast, five cast members. Um, and when I tell, that's part of the, I tell the writers and the directors, like, you know, we wouldn't clear, a five bedroom house with 3000 square feet with only five people, you know, you'll have like 40 people going in this house and clearing the whole house quick, right? You go shallow to deep and you just want to overwhelm, overwhelm the house, overwhelm, make it quick. So people don't really have a lot of time to respond, hopefully, um, unless it's a barricaded suspect, but uh, you know, proper way to clear a room is people have different ways to do it. But uh, as long as you go the opposite way, the person in front of you and somebody down the middle, um, you know, you're usually going to be pretty good. Now you get some people that will like to peek in the room or do a quick peek. Um, that seems know, so dangerous. Like said, so, so there's yeah, no, yeah. there's no peeking with SWAT. You're just shoot them up, uh, bang, bang, break it down. And some, here we go. Some people, uh, some people do, like I said, some people do things differently and that's the way they do it. And it's not wrong, but I was taught the old school way. Um, so I just do it the way that I do it. And, you know, you try to learn the new ways, you try to learn different ways. You, you try to add your, um, repertoire and, uh, you always try to learn, right? Well, all right. So when, all right. So the first person in, is that the same guy every time? Cause, or is like, is that guy insane? 
and just wants to be the first one in every time? Or do you switch it up amongst the unit? Um, you switch it up usually amongst the unit. And usually it's not the first guy that gets uh, if, if, God forbid, that, uh, you know, somebody gets shot. It's usually not the first guy. It's usually the second guy mm. because, you know, that person has to react. And, um, you know, you see an action and then you have to have a reaction, right? So it's, right, right. it's kind of like if you're out on the street or whatever and uh, Makes sense. A, bad, a bad guy has a gun, you see him pull a gun. So you have to have that reaction in your brain like, okay, wait a minute, he's going for a gun. And then your reaction is to grab your gun. So, um yeah, that's no, no, that makes that actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. Man, Odie, you are a special guy for dealing with this type of stuff. I mean, it, it truly takes someone with a special mind and the strength of character to do this type of stuff. I mean, do you ever just sit back sometimes and I mean, can you appreciate what you do and what you've done for your career um, in the Navy? I do, you know, but 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 sometimes you don't think about it. Uh, you know, 28 years, you, when, you, when you're in the 28 years, it feels like it's going slow. And then, like everybody says, now it's like, wow, where did that 28 years go? Plus, I've got six seasons on SWAT, and that's a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just wonder about the things you could have did better, the things that, uh, you know, that you didn't do so well at and things that you did do well at, you know. Um, um, some of the things that you didn't do so well is try to help people out. Um, you know, I had a female. The one thing that sticks in my mind, well, a lot of things stick in my mind from 28 years um, but the one thing that sticks in my mind is a lady that committed suicide in front of me, um, probably two days before Thanksgiving in 2016, when I was doing the mayor's detail, uh, wow. you know, at the, at one of the malls in, in San Diego, it was two days before Thanksgiving, I was in the mayor's office. Um, you know, we we're getting ready to go to, uh, an event, which we did frequently. And just a call came out on a radio of a woman that wanted to commit suicide and, and, you know, possibly shoot some of her other family members. So, uh, make a long story short, me and my partner said, yeah, we're just across the street. So we walk over and we had our suit and ties on doing a dignitary protection stuff. So she wouldn't know who we are pretty much just regular business guys in the mall. Mm-hmm. A couple of officers saw her go in the mall and, um, we walked around looking for her. We finally found her in one of the stores. Uh, she heard, uh, she saw us and then she was buying something looked at us and then kind of walked out the door. Uh, we got on the radio and, and radioed what was happening. And then she kind of ran uh, probably 15 feet away from us. You know, place was packed two days before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, she pulled out a gun out of her purse and pointed it at us. Uh, people were walking in front of, in front of her. People were walking behind us. Uh, kids, you know, all that stuff. So it was kind of like we drew our guns on her and the part, my partner was telling people to get out of the way. I was telling her to drop the gun. Mm. She took off running, you know, um, we chased her, uh, maybe on, on, went down to another floor. She pointed at us a couple more times and sat down in front of a store and we got up to her behind the corner. You know, I was talking to her, told her to, uh, just put the gun down and next thing you know, she committed suicide. So that's, wow. you you just, wonder you know stuff like that probably bothers you about trying to save people or help people a little bit more um then you realize that now that i'm getting older you realize that uh life is short you have to enjoy what you do and you don't take it for granted yeah the the negotiations i would assume is probably one of the most difficult things just the mental aspect of it and what you run into and just the constant decisions you have to make i mean we could do another whole show just about that 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, cops, uh, you know, the military also, I mean, people talk about the military, but law enforcement also, I mean, 28 years, you see a lot of stuff, right? And people that have been there longer yeah. see a lot of stuff. I mean, it's not only, you know, people always talk about shootings, but it's always the calls that you go to and, and, and people are right. You can go to a call where you're talking to a, um, you know, a kid and uh, the next minute you're going to, you know, a, a baby that has died in an apartment that fell in a, you know, fell in the bathtub and drowned or, mm. um, you know, as an officer, one of one of our officers years ago, Jeremy Hedwood went to uh, uh, went to a McDonald's and, and you know, he had a he bought there was a kid that came into McDonald's and they have it on video. They showed it on video. Kid came into McDonald's, didn't have enough money to buy a hamburger. He pulls out his wallet, buys a happy meal for the kid. Walks out 10 minutes later, he's at a stoplight and some suspect pulled up to the stop stoplight, pulled out a shotgun and pointed it at him and shot him. Mm. And, um, you know, it's stuff like that that people don't realize when uh, uh, when they're talking about law enforcement or whatever the case may be that um, after years of doing it, it also builds a toll on on your mental state. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Odie, unfortunately, we are out of time. But hey, brother, I. I appreciate you for everything you've done for our country um, and the Navy. Appreciate your service. And it has been great to get a chance to know you. Looking forward to this weekend. Again, going back to Bernie's point, um, you deal with some heavy stuff. So it's it's probably nice to be able to play play a game of cornhole to kind of lighten things up. We're looking forward to this weekend at, at Shamar's and obviously here in Los Angeles for the Pro Shootout Championship. And look forward to seeing you. Definitely. You guys too. I, you know, and, and I've come to know you guys and uh, I just met you, Jeff, but I've known Bernie for a little bit and um, I love talking to you guys and hanging out with you guys. So we have a good time. So thanks. It's going to be All fun right, this weekend. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, Odie. Thanks. We'll, see, right, you, we'll see you this weekend. All right. See ya. See you, Odie. Man, what a great dude. We got, we got to run. We literally have like 15 seconds left. What, what a, what a terrific guy. He's the best, man. You'll see. You'll get to talk to him this weekend. Dude's the best. Yeah. I mean, we talk about, you know, being tough in sports. I mean, that's a whole different level. I mean, come on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. thank thank God we got people like that. Absolutely. All right, all right Bernie. Uh, all right. We're here in L.A. I'll see you later for lunch. <laughs> all, right, <man. laughs> all right, brother. Thanks, everybody. Bye.